This interview is made possible by my friends at Athens Screen Printing, HP Overhead Door Company, Speedy Tech Repair, and Tinsley Law and Title. Their sponsorship makes it possible for me to provide free content to the community. Please say thank you by visiting each of their Facebook pages. Hello, friends. This is Michael with Hannigan Media, and I am here with Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney. How are you doing today, Judge? Doing well, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So it is Wednesday. We are here for our weekly interview. Uh, I am really looking forward to the part where uh, we get to talk about something other than COVID, but that's not today. No. Um, We have numbers going up. We have hospitalizations going up. We have an interesting order from the governor um, to take apart. Uh, This is the first time you and I have gotten to speak since the governor's order was released. So we have a whole lot to talk about. Uh, Before we get to the governor's order, which I think is the heart of what people locally are really interested in today, let's talk about the numbers. Uh, We've had a pretty big increase yesterday, as we say here Wednesday, Tuesday, 19 cases. And the way I figured it uh, on Monday, they didn't report, NetHealth didn't report anything over the weekend. So on Monday, I counted 28 cases that was for the weekend and Monday. Right. And so since Saturday, we've had 47 cases reported? Yes. Yes. That's a lot. It is. You know, we have discussed uh, continually the fact that there's a rural Texas and an urban Texas. Yes. The urban Texas, versus, uh, due to the population density and all those shared surfaces, tends to run ahead of rural Texas in your cases. And also with the increase in testing that has begun in rural Texas. We've actually had quite a bit of testing. And I actually I actually did look at that um, for something else to, to just put a like exclamation point on the increase in testing in Henderson County, just in Henderson County, from the start of all of this through May 31st, there were 608 tests conducted. Mm-hmm. In the month of June alone, there were 1,500 tests conducted in Henderson County. So that's a big jump. It is a very big jump, and I will add to that, uh, we had 306 tested yesterday alone at the Chandler walk-up. Right, right. 306. So you had— 20%. I was going to say, yeah, well, we had had almost half of the number that was tested in all of this up until May 31st yes. was tested in one day in Chandler yesterday. That's correct. So, so part of this, we're going to, we have to admit, part of this in the spike in numbers is just a pure availability of tests. It is. So we're not sure if we can say, wow, there's an increase of coronavirus in Henderson County. All we can say, truthfully, is... There's an increase in our ability to detect how much coronavirus there is in Henderson County. We are definitely identifying more corona. We are definitely identifying it. Now, with that, though, 
one of the things um, you have spoken before about the two numbers you really keep an eye on. One of them is the active cases. Active cases have gone up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, part of that could be the testing. The other thing is the hospital numbers and the and the news for our hospital numbers, not so good. Not good at all. Uh, you can argue, everyone can argue either side about um, how subjective the whole comment is about the testing and the rules for testing. Sure. And if you're asymptomatic, uh, you you actually test for it, but yet you have no symptoms. You know, we can argue that all day long. The thing that you cannot argue is the number on hospitalizations. And that has increased across the state uh, 50% in about 10 days. Right. But and locally, it's even worse. Our local TSA, that's right. region, that's the G, TSAG, which is Tyler Longview, has increased at 107% in hospitalizations and that's going from 58 uh, June 28th until yesterday at 146. All right so let's break that down real quick for people who might not catch the the acronyms and stuff. In order to report all of this kind of stuff the uh, Department of Health and Safety Department of State, State Health, Health Services. Health right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. DSHS. Yes, dishes. Dishes, there you go. <laughs> DSHS has broken up the state into hospital regions. Correct, 22 of them. 22 of them. Our hospital region, identified by Tyler Longview, includes about a million people. Correct. Of that number, 146 people in our region, TSA, yes. that's how it's designated, in our TSA region is are in the hospital due to COVID-19-related issues. Correct. All right. And that number has gone up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw uh, we the last story I did where we really talked about some of that uh, was uh, May 31st, I think it was, and we were at like 62 Right. And now we're up to 146. They have gone up very, very quickly. They have. And and that's following what I was alluding to earlier, uh, that, that spike. We run a couple of weeks behind the urban areas. All right. And so one of the things that um, most people might not know about you is and you are a numbers guy big time. Hey, when I come in and speak with you, there's a like a big screen TV with a uh, chart of numbers. There's a spreadsheet in front of you almost yes, the entire time we talk, uh, and you've broken down the entire state for the TSAs and come up with a, an interesting way to um, rank where they are. Uh, and the way I understand it, you're looking at the percentage so you've got each one each place broken down by the percentage of population in the state yes and then you figure out the percentage of people who have covid compared to their particular population that is correct percentage of state population versus percentage of hospitalizations state hospitalizations and by subtracting those numbers you get a third number that you can use to figure out whether they're doing well or they're doing poorly for instance dallas is doing actually doing very well 
Dallas is doing extremely well. It is, through that ranking system, number one. Uh, there is, based upon their population and the number of cases, they're doing extremely well. And if you look, it wasn't that way just a few weeks ago when they were in the, the spike in those right. locations. So, it, And it allows you to follow and see the moving of, of where it is. Austin is number two, the Austin TSA, and our TSA, G, is number three. So what you're saying is, of the 22 TSAs, we, by your system, are ranked number three good. Yes. As far as having the lowest percentage of our population compared to the state actually having tested positive for COVID. Hospitalized. Oh, hospitalized. hospitalized. I'm sorry. Yes, hospitalized, hospitalized for COVID. That's right. right. Yeah, right. My, my bad. So we are the third lowest TSA in the state for the percentage of people that we have who are hospitalized due to COVID-19. Correct. Who's not doing well? Uh, at this time, uh, Brownsville. We have really seen, or I have seen as I've been doing this, Brownsville at this time, and that's um, TSAV, has really spiked in the last four or five days. They are roughly 400,000 larger than us, but yet they have almost 1,100 individuals hospitalized attributed to COVID. Yeah, that's a big difference between what you see in Henderson County and our TSA and what you see in the Brownsville TSA. Yes. And Houston is also really up there uh, with numbers, but you say that that's actually getting better. It's improving. Now, they are at their limit. You know, we hear about their capacity. And when I say limit, when I look at these numbers— Hospitals across the state have surge capacity where they um, have plans in place to handle surges in, right. in COVID. But looking at the numbers, you know, Houston, San Antonio were really stretching their capacity on the numbers, but actually Houston looks to be improving. So it looks like they may have turned a corner a little bit, hoping it's a little early to say something <laughs> yes. like that, yes. but, but you're hoping, you know, that's the hope. Um, and that actually rings true from what we saw in the beginning of all of this when rural areas like Henderson County were tending to run three and four weeks behind what was going on in the urban areas. So back then, urban areas were seeing spikes in positive tests where we were not, but three to four weeks later, we would see a corresponding spike just like the urban areas did. And now we're seeing it. Same thing with the hospitalizations. Right. And it's real easy to look at numbers and and to just look at the hard data. The part that we can't track, that that we cannot follow, is the fatigue on these hospital staffs. Sure. You know, we're looking at a three-month run, stretch, steady, of um, having to work under what are heightened conditions. And um, that's something we can't track, and that's the part that is really becoming concerning. Sure, we have to talk about, and that's where you start talking about frontline workers, the people who are doing that. We had a... You know, it's not the same as what's going on in the hospital, but we had a great example of that right here in Henderson County when the sheriff's office had to send home some people to quarantine, which caused um, 
several shifts, a, a couple of shifts at the jail to work 14 days straight, 12-hour yes. shift just to cover because they had lost so right. many people due to the quarantine because of positive cases. And so the same thing happens all around the country and, and in our hospitals who are the ones working it. You know, you, may, you said something interesting. You were talking about looking at the numbers. One of the things I hear um, consistently from people in Henderson County uh, are, you know, questions why we don't have additional numbers. For instance, you can tell me that the uh, RTSA has 146 people in the hospital, but you can't tell me how many of them come from Henderson County. No, no, we cannot. And I can say yesterday there were 19 cases, that 19 positive tests that were reported yesterday, but I can't, nobody can tell me like 12 of them had no symptoms, five of them had medium symptoms, and two of them were really sick. Right. No, and we can't do that. For several reasons. Uh, number one is just the capacity. And as we've discussed before, uh, the first pandemic, global pandemic, in 100 years, no one in any country, any state, any location, had the staffing, the manpower, the infrastructure in place to be able to take on something that does not grow linearly in numbers. It grows exponentially in numbers. Uh, they used, I Which means the, it doesn't go 5, 6, 7, 8. It goes 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Exactly, exactly. We, we made... Um, in in the heat of the beginning, you know, I made mention of the old. I think it was the Pantene commercial. They tell two people. people they and tell so two. on and so on. I mean, that is we're a, old. The, yes, <laughs> but that is that is a very elementary sure. example of it. But it does. It just multiplies, multiplies, mul- multiplies. Right. And being able to, um, even if you had all of the financial resources to do it, where will you get all of the manpower to do that? Plus all of the um, supporting portions of it. That's why the state even had to call in um, extension right. service AgriLife. To try and help. Right. So this goes back to that um, that department that nobody in Henderson County had ever heard of before we heard of the coronavirus, which is NetHealth, which is, the, um, which is located in Tyler. Mm-hmm. And it is a public health department, basically. Correct for multiple counties now bigger counties have their own they have enough money they have enough people whatever to have their own public health department henderson county smaller rural county doesn't like i'm pretty sure the people who were patting you on the back for cutting taxes or keeping taxes down were were very happy about that one of the ways that you do that is by joining with other people to create something like net health. Correct. Okay. The problem with that is net health is trying to take care of how many counties? Seven. Okay. And Henderson County has dedicated to them how much of that net health <laughs> group? Well, uh, the epidemiologists are working for everyone, but as far as a direct liaison that is assigned to this county, we have one that we share with another county, and that individual is in charge of contact tracing, 
coordination, so many different uh, consultation with um, doctors' offices, entities calling in, looking for guidance. So uh, we have half a person. We have half a person. Yes. So we have half a person in Net Health trying to keep all of our numbers straight from all over. And again, we have to remember the way it works is testing is attributed to where the test happens. Correct. But the if there's a confirmed case, the case is attributed to the location where the person lives. Yes. So if I go back home to New Jersey, that's where the accent comes from, those who don't know me. (laughs) If I go home to New Jersey and I get sick and I get tested and I turn positive, then the test is recorded in New Jersey. The positive case is recorded in Henderson County. That's correct. All right. Which means our half a person has to keep all the records for any tests done to someone in Henderson County anywhere in the country. Every day, the reports have to be gone through. And that individual does that for two counties. Uh, The information comes in to the epidemiologists. It's gone through at Central uh, in Tyler, and then it is pushed out to where they believe it goes, and then that individual re-reviews. We have an individual here that assists in that review to make sure that, yes, this is a Henderson County case, or, oh, no, it is not a Henderson County case. But it is a long, detailed process that... That's just to find out if it's a case. If it's a case. Remember, I said in the beginning, at the very beginning of this, we had an individual that was on the cruise ship in California. Right. And it took over a month for that actual test to get to Henderson County and be attributed to Henderson County. So one of the questions and and one of the things that I've noticed is, all right, so our numbers are going up. Yes, The recovered cases haven't gone up in a few days. No, they haven't. And that is due to, as we're talking about, the caseload. NetHealth only will release the recovered numbers on Friday. And that's basically because it's harder to make sure that there's recoveries. And if you can't contact someone, you wait 30 days. Exactly. And there's a lot of little rules like that in place just to make it even possible to try and keep up with some of these numbers. So yesterday, we talked about this, 19 cases yesterday. Mm-hmm. Let's say those 19 had 20 contacts. Right. Now, to me, that's small. That's yes. a small number. But we'll just say 20 contacts. That would be 380 contacts for the 19 cases. Yes. So now our half a person has to coordinate not only the testing for the 19 people, and find out if they're whatever happens to them afterwards, mm-hmm. but also track down the, the 380 people and f- let them know that they've been in contact with somebody who's been with whatever. Or am, I, am I following this correctly? Yes. All right. So why did we not look at this issue and go, all hands on deck, let's put another like 10 people on this job. Why did that not happen? The state had a target goal of 4,000. 
okay. additional. And that again, that's in addition to AgriLife being brought in. Right. AgriLife is being brought in at that point to assist in contact tracing on top of their normal duties. Getting that, that type of manpower brought in, trained, set up to run a location to work from at the drop of a hat is impossible. Sure. So what has done is through attrition and time, capability has increased. But as the numbers have increased exponentially, there's no way to get ahead of it. All right. So let's put a, let's put a bow on this before we move on to the governor. So that's how come we have very specific numbers that we track because they can help give a picture yes. of what's going on. Even though we know it's not the entire picture, it gives us a picture of what's going on. And it's stuff that can be tracked. So we know how many hospitalizations there are in the TSA, but no, we don't know how they're broken down. No. And we know how many cases, active cases there are in Henderson County. But no, I can't tell you how each one is doing because we just don't have the manpower to track all of that data. That is correct. All right. We, we have to rely on what we've learned in the past, what we've learned from other entities, and have to make assumptions in some areas, and that's the best that you can get. All right. So let's move on because um, we have to get to the big thing, which is the governor's order last week. Um, and the governor's order is interesting because, you know, we say – the governor has ordered something. Here you go. I am sitting here with my mask. Uh, we're sitting far enough apart that I'm not wearing it at the moment, but I have my mask at hand because everybody knows that the governor issued a mask order that anybody that goes outside, anybody that goes anywhere must wear a mask at all times, right? That is the way the media has portrayed it, yes. All right, but, but that's not exactly the truth, is it? <laughs> When you look at all of the associated documents, yeah. no, it is not. There is a caveat that is in there, and guess what it is? It's the thing we've heard all along, six feet of social distancing. Right. Okay, so so first off, let's make sure we understand the way, and, and we'll say this. And I talked to you last week about this, and it was right before the 4th, and I was like, okay, so the governor has put out an order can I get a statement from the county? And your basic answer was, be glad to talk to you once we figure out what the order means. Yes. Okay. And so I know you spoke to a whole lot of different people, and you've got a lot of different stuff. And, and now this is what we're coming down to. This is the way the county is interpreting the governor's order. Number one, yes, you must wear a mask. If you cannot keep six feet of distance. Yes. So I go outside. I'm hanging out in the park with my family. I'm not near anybody else. I don't have to wear a mask. That is correct. Technically, that is correct. I go over to go get a snow cone from the snow cone stand. I put my mask on because I'm coming up to deal with this person within a couple of feet. Get my snow cone, turn around, walk back to my family, take my mask off because I'm no longer within six feet of anybody that's not in my house. Exactly, because the exact wording is provided, however, 
Well, I'm reading at the wrong spot. Excuse me. Yeah, well, it's a long, <laughs> yeah. it's a long order. Wherever it is not feasible to maintain six feet of social distancing from another person not in the same household. Got it. All right. So that's number one. Right. This this order is not a you must wear a mask at all times. This is a if you're within six feet, then wear a mask. Correct. All right. Which is why I went out and got one of these cool buffs that you see on like Survivor and stuff so I can wear it and flip it up right. when I need it and flip it down when I don't. Exactly. That's why I have my bandana. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is not to say, by the way, that the county is saying masks are a bad idea. No, of course not. Uh, we have got ample data now, and we've discussed this time and time again, that not only has there been quite a bit of scientific data presented of how it can help prevent you from spreading. Right. But it's also a way to support your brother. Right, exactly. Who, who may be extremely concerned about the fact that you don't have a mask. Perfect. All right, so step one. Yes, there's a mask order in place, but no, the mask order is not. You have to wear it everywhere. It's, uh, you know, no. But if you are within, if you can't keep six feet of distance, then you have to wear a mask. By the way, what I have noticed as I go around Henderson County is there are more people wearing masks, but the biggest thing I notice is there is a renewed effort among our public to keep six feet away from each other, it looks like Very to much me. so. That's Very what much I, so. And that's just my observation. That's mine as well. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people do a much better job of going back to social distancing. All right. The other thing that was a big deal in here is uh, we're going to go back to that thing where you can't have more than 10 people in, in the same spot. That, that's not exactly true either. That is correct. So, so tell us about that. Well, the big one that um, was very big discussion last week was um, religious activities. You know, they are exempt right. throughout. But when you look at the opening Texas and also DHS, DSHS. There you go. There it is. The dishes people. Yes, the dishes people, their minimum protocols, which the governor references over and over again. Uh, there is a whole listing of specific cir circumstances where the uh, capacity is limited, but right. it can be much larger than, than 10 people. All right, let's, let's, let's hold on here. Just let's get this. So in the order, multiple times, the governor says, this is what he basically says. You're not allowed to have like 10 people together unless it's okay according to the DSHS protocols. Correct. Which were updated Thursday the, or Friday. The same day as the executive same order. Same day as the executive order. So you gave me one that was a wedding venue. Yes. Uh, is actually in the DSHS order. So explain, it, well, what was that one? That one was 50%, I think. It is, um, if I can find it here. Basically, um, it goes back to that 50% of the capacity is now the limit. All right, so now the governor's order is here, and has sorry. been reported as, you know, um, you, you can only have 10 people, but 
if a wedding venue's capacity is 500, then that wedding that wedding venue could have a wedding with 250 people in it. Yes. That's what it says. The 250 wedding, is more than 10, I think. Wedding reception services <laughs> held at an at other outdoor loca- outdoor locations. Okay. Are limited to fifty percent of the facility's total listed occupants. All right. So what we've got here, and and you have pages of those types of um, those kind of rules that are now in effect. That is correct. But again, it follows that must wear a face covering whenever not feasible to main the remain or maintain the six feet of social distancing from another individual not in the same household. Got it. So capacity is cut. And you still got the still got the, the social me the social distancing rule, which is yes. six feet or a mask. Exactly. Okay. So we'll do the social distance rule is six feet or a mask. Yes. And we've seen the rule about the ten people, but that is like there are pages and pages and pages of exceptions to that. Exactly. That comes down to one of the things I have heard many times uh, people ask is like, okay, how is, is the county going to be, um, you know, enforcing these things? And I, uh, not to put words in your mouth, I talked with the sheriff this morning and, and he said, the way he said it was like mask order is not our priority. You know, this, this County has other things to worry about. The sheriff has other things to worry about. That's not our priority. Um, but I can't imagine how you would actually enforce, even if you wanted to, how you would force anything like this. I mean, officers would have to carry around a notebook with, you know, pages of, possible exceptions exactly it is very difficult to enforce other than he made some specifics about it saying that um, trespassing could be uh, something that could follow if a business wanted someone that had come in without a mask to leave they could work through that avenue but to just go around saying hey Right. Here's a ticket. You don't have a mask sure. on. Here's a ticket. You don't have a mask on. Right. It's virtually impossible to enforce it that way. Now, with all the caveats that are built in. And and that's it. I'm glad you said that real quick. You said that about businesses. So businesses, like a business, does have the right. A business person does have the right. To say if you're going to come in, I want you to wear a mask, regardless yeah. of the social distancing thing. Right. Exactly. They have that right. Yes. So if a business says to you. If you're coming in here, wear a mask. They have that right. Don't lose your mind. Right. Exactly. Um, however, if a business, if you walk into a business and you see someone behind the counter and they're not wearing a mask and they're six feet away, also don't go crazy. Right. They're, because in, they're in compliance. The, they're in compliance as long as they're social distanced. I think that we, we cannot say this enough times to our public. The rule is not a you have to be masked rule. The rule is you must either be six feet away or have a mask. One of the two. Exactly. All right. And I and I know that I've gone over that like twelve times. 
but it's, it's amazing how many times you have to go over something to make sure we get it exactly the right way. Well, when, you know, it came out right at the holiday weekend. Sure. And, of course, given the circumstances of Fourth of July, very easy for the narrative to be, as we saw, is this is a mask rule. Right. Technically, it is a mask rule. It just has many caveats. Right. Well, and, you know, and that's, you know, we can get we can get into this. Um, you and I have gotten into it on many occasions when we were talking about the, um, the, the role and what journalism is today. Right. And that and that. We have to get it now, right? Mentality, um, and it took multiple people that you guys talked to. Yes, you had to think about it. And several arguments, several arguments to actually come up with what this really means, so that we know when we're moving forward. Um, and you know, journalism reporters have a deadline, and so they, they want to get it out. And I will say they the do. other side of that is. Uh, the readers, our public, want to know now. They do. They, they've gotten the same thing. They've gotten used to having instant information. Right. So if there's a governor's order, they expect an answer about what the governor's order means right now. Speed has um, value, but also accuracy. I, the, the, I'm all about the accuracy. The, the saying that I remember most from my grandfather, who was a carpenter, was measured twice, cut once. Yeah. And uh, that, when you're dealing with these type of situations, we have learned to be very thorough. Yeah, no, I and I agree, especially when you, like you said, you had the 4th of July weekend coming up. That means everything is accelerated. Um, but I'm glad to know that this is where we're at. Um, and it's also important to know because we'll finish up this interview with there's other things happening, and next Tuesday is an important day. That's right. We've got candidates ready for the next round of elections. That's right. We have our runoff that's mm-hmm. um, been early voting for, I think, tomorrow's the last day. No, it's, no it's, this is Wednesday, so Friday. Well, we, right? Yes, that is right, because with the additional week added to early voting. Yeah. We, so Friday is the last day of early voting, I believe. Not this Friday. No, sir. This is the first week in early voting. That's correct. Isn't it? No. No, you're right. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday yes, is election day. Yes, now that we're getting this straight. Yeah. Uh, Yo. <laughs> Friday, you thank, are correct. Thank, thank goodness you. we have the big TV. We can pull up the calendar <laughs> yes. and take a look at it. Yes, next <laughs> Tuesday is election day for the primary runoffs. Very important for um, for commissioner's court. Very much so. Um, there's two... Commissioner's seats that are on the Republican primary side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very, very important for people to get out and vote for. Um, so remember, when you go, six feet or a mask. There's a caveat. There is a caveat. <laughs> of course. There is a caveat. Of course there's in the a caveat. Order, and I'll do it very, very quickly. Any person who is voting, assisting a voting, serving as a poll watcher, or actively administering an election is not required to wear a mask, but wearing a mask covering, or excuse me, a face covering, doesn't have to be a mask, a face covering, is strongly encouraged. Okay, so let's get this right so that the people will know. If you go to get to to cast your vote and you go to a polling place on Tuesday 
and you see your neighbor not wearing a mask, they actually have that right because they're in a voting. They're voting. That is correct. Okay. So don't get crazy. They have that right. You also have the right to wear your mask. That's right. So, Tuesday's election day. <laughs> Holy. Sprung, uh, sprung that one on you. Yeah, didn't you I? did. I mean, that's, <laughs> but that's the whole, that tells you everything you need to know about what's going on with COVID. So, we're trying to do an election, but we're trying to keep people social distance and masked. But if you're at the election, you don't have to mask. Unless you want a mask because it's a good to mask because we know that masks help prevent the spread. That's right. All right. So, yeah, let's go out there and make sure that we're, like, enforcing all of these rules. So I'm telling you. Ugh. All right. Well, there you go, guys. Make sure you go out. Whatever you do, go out and uh, um, cast your vote next Tuesday. It's a really important election for Henderson County, especially in those two districts, uh, those two um, precincts, yes. rather. Um, so make sure you cast your vote. Take care of yourself when you're out there. Make sure to social distance. Make sure to wash your hands. Make sure to wear your mask when you're closer than six feet. And for the love of God, take care of each other. Exactly. All right. Thank you, A sir. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.